or their pastor gets caught up in this major sex scandal, like major, and folks are like fighting and people are being interviewed on CNN. I mean, it's just like a whole Chicago PD type ordeal. You're listening to The Traditional Millennial with Brittany Dotson, where conventional meets contemporary and faith fills the gaps. Welcome back to The Traditional Millennial. I am your host, Brittany Dotson. And as usual, we are diving right in. So I have noticed the increased use of a particular phrase amongst people today. It's a phrase that is possibly leaving us potentially void of responsibility and accountability. And it can be somewhat damaging to our witness if we aren't careful. So this generation of people... We use these two words that are just very overly emphasized. I mean, excessively emphasized. But we often hear people say, I'm human. So when they get caught up in something, well, I'm human. I'm going to make mistakes. But the same ones, though, over and over and over and over again. Or their pastor gets caught up in this major sex scandal, like major, and folks are like fighting and people are being interviewed on CNN. I mean, it's just like a whole Chicago PD type ordeal. And people will say, oh, he's human, just like us. He's okay. He's not perfect. He's just a man. Well, I think we kind of knew that he was human and he was a man. I mean, we didn't think he was an alien, but he was still dead wrong. But with this, we tend to gravitate towards using biblical examples of quote-unquote failure to excuse or even cover up how people live. And this can be dangerous and is somewhat of an insult to the character of God and his word, especially if used in the wrong context. And it's also dangerous because we see Paul tell us in Romans that grace is no no excuse to continue in sin. So today, I want us to look a little deeper into these biblical examples that we use to underscore the words, I'm human. So first one, the use of Noah getting drunk and God still being able to use him is a very popular one. People will say, well, Noah was a drunk. Okay, well, if he existed as a drunk, which is what was a drunk would imply, then it would be described as an ongoing or action or a habit of Noah. But this was not lined out in scripture. We don't see Noah characterized as a drunk in Genesis. Noah was drunk. He did get drunk, but he did not exist as a drunk. And even with him getting drunk, we're not in a position to estimate the amount of Noah's guilt in this case. And we we don't know how far he was acquainted with the properties of the wine of that time. But what we do know is that Noah being drunk is recorded in the Bible for a reason. And it's a case and proof of human weakness and imperfection. Even though he may have been surprised into this sin, it shows that the best of men, they can't stand upright unless they depend upon the, the divine grace of God. So there may have been a sense of shame. And this was proven because Noah was displeased with the actions of his son, which was clear by the curse that was pronounced on his grandchild Canaan and the Canaanite nation after his son Ham went and disclosed his drunken nakedness to his brothers. Like, y'all, he told his brothers. You would have you thought that, that Noah, Noah's sons knowing this would have softened the blow of humiliation, but it didn't. But before this, in Scripture, Noah was described as finding grace in the sight of God, and he was described as a just man and perfect in his generations, not sinless, but sincere in his desire to do God's will. And that's exactly what he did after this incident. 
We don't hear anything else about Noah and his drinking habits after this. So moving right along to David. So the use of David's adulterous encounter and his murder afterwards, it's one that's commonly referred to too. David was, he was tasked by God to unify and lead Israel and he accepted his part in God's plan. Now, as far as David and Bathsheba go, yes, David was an adulterer. David was a murderer. He did those things. But his sins, well, he he didn't continue to do them. He did commit those actions. But his sins didn't go unpunished. David was guilty of the sins he committed. And judgment would soon follow in the form of ongoing violence. So his house had to experience this because of what he did. But he recognized and he he acknowledged who he had sinned against when he said, I have sinned against the Lord. But David also confessed his faults. And we see this in the 51st number of Psalms, which is a psalm by David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone and slept with Bathsheba and Nathan accused him of his sin. David was really sorry. He was truly sorry for what he had done because he knew his actions hurt a lot of people. He didn't excuse them. He acknowledged them. And he was described as a man after God's own heart. So if anything, we should learn some lessons, a few lessons from the account of of David and Bathsheba. First and foremost, be sure your sin will find you out. There's no hiding from God because anytime we sin, we first sin against God because God is the one who set the standard. So he will, will, your sin will find you out. He, He will, he will know there is nothing that God does not know. Second, God will forgive anyone who repents. If you go to God with a sincere heart, he 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 forgives you and he throws your sins in the sea of forgetfulness. So he 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 will do that. He he knows your heart. So if if you are sincere when you go to God and you repent, you you confess and you acknowledge your wrongdoing, he will forgive you. Third, sin's consequences still they still remain even when the sin is forgiven. We see this with David. And fourth, God God can work even in difficult situations. So like with David and Bathsheba, their next son, Solomon, he became the heir to the throne. So now I know you're probably wondering, well, how could God still call David a man after his own heart when David committed such terrible sins? Well, David, David was far from perfect. He was. But what made David a cut above the rest was that his heart was pointed towards God like Noah. He had a deep desire to follow God's will and to do everything God wanted him to do. It said this over in Acts. Okay, got David. Now we're moving on. Moses. I like I like this. I like journeying through scripture like this. But a lot of people will say Moses, but Moses committed murder. So if you read over in Exodus 2, it talks about Moses' birth and Pharaoh's daughter and all of this. And then we fast forward to when Moses was 40 years old and how he saw a Hebrew suffering at the hands of an Egyptian. And Moses killed the Egyptian. Well, if you go over to Acts, we see how Luke revisits this encounter and tells us that Moses was defending his brother or a fellow Hebrew. And this was what signified at the time Moses' calling by God to be a ruler and a deliverer, which he was of the Israelite people. And God sent him right back to that place that he fled so that he could deliver his people. And then over in Hebrews, it was said of Moses that by faith, he when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. So he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. He was looking for his reward from the Lord. 
So got Moses moving on to Peter. So the claim is that Peter denied Christ. He swore and he cursed. Well, yes, he did do all of those things. But let's look at the Greek translation of the, of the word cursed first. So the Greek word is katathematizo. So this cursing was him imprecating cursing upon himself. He was speaking ill will upon himself, not literally like cussing folks out, like using foul language. Like he was cursing, not cussing. <laughs> they were grilling Peter hard and he he just couldn't take it. And then the swearing was with an oath. I, um, I think we probably may have known that. But but let, let, let this be another example of how frail we are without the Holy Spirit. We don't know how we should act in, in very difficult situations if we are left to do it ourselves. Because remember, scripture tells us, it says, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. We have to all distrust our own hearts and we have to rely fully on the Lord. But after Peter did this, Peter wept. He wept bitterly after this because he was sorry. And, and sorrow for sin, it cannot be slight, but it has to be great. It has to be contrite and it has to be deep. Peter wept so bitterly for denying Christ that he never denied him again. But he confessed him often in the face of danger. So we see this in Acts when they arrested him and the other apostles and they ordered because they ordered them to stop teaching the gospel. And he said, we ought to obey God rather than men. So so true repentance for any sin will be shown by a change in direction. And, it, and it's a change in direction of who our duty is to and who our our duty is pointed towards. That's a sign of sorrow, not just bitter sorrow, but sincere sorrow. All right. Last but not least, we end with Paul. And so, you know, they say, well, Paul persecuted Christians. Well, yes, yes, Paul did. He did. And, and, you know, before this, Paul was called Saul. Well, that his name didn't change, but, but I just like to believe that maybe once he started living for the Lord, he wanted to disassociate himself with his with the name that he was called when he was persecuting Christians. So he began to be called Paul after that because Saul was the name that that we knew him by when he was persecuting Christians. So it, it, this would possibly indicate a change in his life and a disconnection from his old name, hence a disconnection from his old life when he began to be called Paul instead of Saul. I don't know. I just just thought about that. But anyway, so Saul's persecutory actions, they were against Christians. Yes, they were. He said this. And he also acknowledged how sinful he was when he said this. You know, he he said Christ came into the world to save sinners, for which I am the foremost. I am the worst. I am the chief of them. He acknowledged this. But once he encountered Christ, once he encountered the Lord and was converted, Paul gave himself completely to the work of the Lord, even unto death. He did it in a way that he acknowledged that without the inward workings of the Holy Spirit, he himself would give in to the flesh. But he he was able to overcome the flesh by acknowledging that he had to have the keeping power of the Holy Spirit. We see this over in Romans when he said this. So so we we hear of no other sin committed on the account of Paul beyond what he may have battled with inwardly, not outwardly. Or, or at least I haven't read it. So I don't know if y'all find it. Let me know. But I said all of that to say this, we have to learn that if we are believers who have made the declaration and choice to follow Christ, then we should understand that I'm human is not a cop out for wrongdoing. Okay, so so think about it. I need you to journey with me for, for just a second. So we have a soul and spirit that live in a body. So 
my life, which is my soul, is housed by my human body that acts out what inspires me or acts out what the spirit in me is motivated by. So my body, my human body isn't me. If I kill my flesh spiritually in acceptance of the sacrifice of Christ that brings salvation, I am now housing the Holy Spirit that secures my soul or my life who should now take over my inspiration or my spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God who now lives in me and gives me life. So I am no longer human in terms of who influences my thinking and my behavior if I allow the Holy Spirit, who is God, to fully function in me as me. Now, I'm not saying that we won't have things to come against us to tempt us to do wrong. Jesus himself was tempted as a man, but he also resisted as God. We've talked about this. But if we can recognize and accept this, then we can acknowledge that we can't excuse wrongdoing and use I'm human as the reason. The reason is not I'm human. It's just that I'm not killing my flesh in an effort to allow God himself who lives in me to work and be me. So you are human and that's the problem. But God is God and that's the solution. And so if you chosen to follow him, then you have the solution and I'm human is no longer the problem. We have to let him be God inside of us in every way, not just the way we see fit for him to be. And at some point, We should no longer desire to be a person who continues to say that I accept Christ as Savior, but limit the power he has to keep me. If he has all power and he lives in me, then I know he has the power to keep me from sin if I want to be kept. So if I do wrong, not practice wrongdoing, there is a difference. But but if I do wrong, I will be big enough to take responsibility, ask for forgiveness, and then seek to live a life that's pleasing to God. You know, I just want to leave you with this question. If you profess a belief in Christ and the gospel, which is the means by which we possess the Holy Spirit, did you know that when you make excuses to sin and do wrong, that you are in essence taking away from or claiming some form of weakness existing in the power of God? All right, y'all. That's a wrap for today's episode. I truly hope that this this episode blesses you. It, 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 I hope it challenges you, convicts you maybe, or even just encourages you. Look, be sure to connect with me on Facebook and Instagram at Brittany Dotson Music and Twitter at IMBD Music. You know I would love to hear from you. Again, thanks for hanging out with me today on The Traditional Millennial, where conventional meets contemporary and faith fills the gaps. Teach me your way.